On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I have a guy on who actually knows college basketball players' names. We get into an interesting discussion about variance. We talk a little bit about situation analysis and why it's just a narrative for those people creating content. And then we finally pick with the golf winners for this weekend. Spoiler, it's someone that I've picked before. And with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage is sports gambling. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where. Rufus Peabody is back in New York. Uh, what's the weather like there, Rufus? It's like cold and drizzly. Did you know that I just got back from Squaw, or we don't call it Squaw anymore, from Palisades in Lake Tahoe, where I got up on skis for the first time in 25 years? Wait, what? I didn't realize that you hadn't skied for 25 years. Did you snowboard so I grew up, in the meantime? No, I grew up skiing from the age of like three to probably my early twenties. And then I just kind of stopped skiing. And, um, I don't know, like once you stop skiing there's a lot of momentum that are like inertia to start skiing again, cause you don't have any gear, you don't have any whatnot. And, um, my wife is not a skier. She grew up in Newport beach. And so she, there's just like no skiing in her blood, but Wait, I just, her decided... brothers don't ski at all or snowboard. Her brothers do her brothers, I feel do. Like they, but she, they she seem didn't. like the people that would. Probably snowboard. Yeah. So, so, you know, it just got to a point where my kids are three and five and have never seen snow before. And I needed to get them up on skis. And and I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to go ski. Uh, my friends were nice enough to basically reintroduce me to skiing through a black diamond at Squaw, which or Palisade, sorry, which was incredibly fun. Um, but, you know, I still have that old man, you know, skiing ability. We're going sideways down a, down a, uh, a black diamond is a perfectly fine way to go. Um, but no, I, I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, ultimately like, I think I'll become a skier again. Maybe I'll try to go to that AP ski trip now. Cause I, I like kind of like skiing. Well, it's not a ski trip anymore. Now it's the summit and it's in the summer. Well, maybe, maybe I'll do my <laughs> own version of it then because the APs, I want to spend more time with the APs. So maybe we should go on a ski trip some at some point. I was almost like you and Tom went on that golf trip I saw, and I almost wanted to come join your golf trip. I was like, I, I can do that. I have time. It'd be fun to go join them on a golf trip. We only played how two was your, rounds. How was your golf trip? Where'd you play? So we played, we were going to be playing the mountain course and then the stadium course. And what ended up happening is we did the stay and play package and they ended up booking our golf for the wrong month. So we get there, we show up for our tee time. They're like, we don't have a Peabody on the tee sheet. And then we look and it turned out they had booked us for a March 16th and March 17th tea times. And they're like, sorry, we're literally all booked today and tomorrow. We ended up eventually, we ended up being able to play the stadium course, but we only got 12 holes in because of, we had a, we had a two o'clock tea time. And of course the lady on the line was like, oh yeah, you have plenty of daylight to finish it, but you're not playing a three and a half hour round there. And so, no. So I'm, 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 I'm expecting some money back for sure for, for this, but we played the stadium course, 12 holes of it. And then we played the Greg Norman course, which nice. Yeah. It, 
you know, is it, it all, are those it, courses it walkable okay. or the, are those courses walkable or do you ride them? Well, the, the stadium course is walkable. It hosts a PGA event. Right. Well, you know, the, the, um, Kapalua, the, um, plantation course at Kapalua hosts a, hosts a PGA event and it's not really walkable. Well, the pros they're to... like at the, at the PG, I know, but at the PGA, they like literally are shuttling them from some holes to the next. Like it's, so it's, it may look walkable on, on camera, but they won't let you walk it and you don't walk it. So I don't think that the fact that they have a state of PGA event there means it's necessarily walkable for the mainstream. That's fair. Do they let you walk it though? The stadium course? Cause a lot of resort courses, they don't let you walk. Right. We didn't ask the cart had all the GPS right? and all this stuff too. We did ride. Yeah. But it was, uh, how, I, how was the I, Peabody cup? Who won it? Oh, I played like crap. I won the first, I won the first round and Tom won the second round. None of them were particularly close. The first round, I think, you know, I shot like 52 on the front. It wasn't good. And then the funny and thing you is still won. How did you win? If you shot 52 on the front, Tom somehow shot worse. This is off season golf, Jeff. We're not playing. Over you don't live in California. Like you're not still playing once a week. Yeah. Exactly. No, but what's funny is actually I drove the ball great. I just, I drove the ball well and I putted well, but I couldn't do anything with irons basically all week. So did you have a tilted moment of the week? I know that you've done quite well and we can talk about that a little bit, but have you, did you have a tilted moment of the week? Okay. So I don't think it, it wasn't super tilty, but I, I came back to Las Vegas on Sunday I cashed all my Super Bowl tickets to put in the bank on Monday, and I'd booked a flight out for Monday afternoon to head back to New York. It's it's noon on Monday. You know, I'm running all these errands. I go to the bank and I see it looks dark, and I'm like, oh my God, it's President's Day. I forgot. So I have, you know, $180,000 in cash on me. I don't want to leave it. I'm not going to leave it in my apartment, especially since. I'm having friends use my apartment when I'm not there if they want to. And my cousin um, who lives in Salt Lake City is going to come down at some point to, to, he's a rock climber. And so I'm not going to leave it there. I could, I was like, I could just put it all in the Circa app or something like that. But I think the whole point is I actually wanted to take some money out and put it in the banking system. And so what I did was I just, I looked on united.com and found a flight for the next day and just no extra charge, just pushed it back. And, and and stuck around an extra day, but I felt pretty dumb. <laughs> I love that your tiltiest moments often have to do with your inability to plan travel correctly. Um, how many connections? Get... How many connections did you have on your flight from Vegas? Zero. Oh wow! Look at that. Zero. I've become, Good job, yeah. I've become less cheap. And how many bags ended up in different airports? None. And did, did you have your? Did you have your? Did you have your toiletries or not? Did you brush your teeth last night or not? I, I did. Toothbrush I had my toiletries. My golf clubs arrived. As far as I can see, nice. the driver isn't snapped like it was when I used Shipsticks. Nice. Um, well, Shipsticks, if you would like to be a sponsor on this, you can be, but we won't talk shit on you anymore. I've used Shipsticks a couple of times and have, have so had a great the experience. The one time I used it was after I played golf with the Shipsticks co-founder. He was like, oh, yeah. You should like, I was like, okay, I'll ship my clubs with that. And then they lost the clubs for like a month. And then when I finally got them, the driver was snapped. So that wasn't fun. And I'm sure mm. that's just bad variants, but 
it is what it is. I'm trying to think if I had a tiltiest moment. Um, like I said, I got up on skis for the first time in 25 years, which was fun. And um, yeah, I just, I don't really think I had a tiltiest moment. I mean, the tiltiest moment may have been my son uh, picking him up from ski school and him um, not having the really expensive ski jacket that we'd given him to wear. Thank God it was like a hand-me-down and not knowing where the ski jacket was, uh, asking the ski school people where it would be, them having no idea, coming back, then them saying like, come check the hall, the lost, you know, whatever, and found the next day. We went to check the lost and found the next day. It wasn't there. And then literally as I was walking away from dropping my son off, his instructor runs up and says, does your son have a jacket? And I was like, Ugh. No, he doesn't. We lost it yesterday. So he's just going to be skiing in a sweater today. So that's it. That oh, man. This moment. Jeff, what is what kind of skier are you? Or were you at your peak? Were you, did you I like I was nobles? never that good. Did I mean, like I, going I, fast? No, I was never. I'm, I may get down the mountain by any means necessary. I actually like to ski easier stuff because I can ski it well. Like I, on easy stuff, I can look like a good skier. On harder stuff, I look like I don't know how to ski. So I actually do think that if I start skiing again, I will push myself to do harder stuff. I think that the people who skied on both the East Coast and West Coast will understand this. West Coast hard skiing is much more enjoyable than East Coast hard skiing. East Coast hard skiing is steep with ice. It's West Coast, if you have good oh, conditions, you can like actually like enjoy skiing steep stuff. So I think I'm fixated or anchored on my mind on the you know expert slopes being like way too scary and here they were fun and scary but still fun so i don't like double blacks really just because of all the moguls like because it's ungroomed. occasionally it's fun right it's ungroomed so it's it's what, what differentiates a double black from like a single black or a really tough blue isn't as much how steep it is it's more just the, the ungroomedness and the moguls it's it's steep moguls, basically. I, yeah. I love I love really steep groomers and just absolutely fly on those. Yeah. I and I like trees. And I don't fly. Yeah, I probably tree. should I probably should be okay with going a little bit faster and maybe I'll be okay. Like I, I also skied in an era, Rufus, where we didn't wear helmets. Right. Like that tells you when like and like it's just and like when I got I my I didn't skis, wear helmets growing up skiing either. Nobody, when I got my skis, I was like, why are my skis so short? Cause I had rental skis and like, I'm used to the skis being super. I'm like, why are they so fat? And why are they so short? It was like a fascinating thing. Um, so you guys have done quite well recently gambling across all of your, your properties. And we were kind of talking a little across all your sports. And so we were talking a little bit about this concept of variance. I actually, um, was just at the NBA All-Star Technology Summit. So then the NBA All-Star um, game at it the Friday before the All-Star game, they have a technology summit, which Adam Silver runs. And um, it's probably the best, honestly, the best technology conference um, of any sports, like any, it's one, it's the best sports technology conference, I would guess. It has the highest, the you know best level of attendees and the networking and whatnot. And I actually had um opportunity the night before to have dinner with some really interesting people, some people from uh Joe Sai's family office and 
um, so people that have, are entrepreneurs and, and, uh, one of the guys I had, uh, had, um, dinner with, which is a guy by the name of Sam Koppelman. His father is Brian Koppelman, the guy that did rounders and billions. Um, he's actually like worked for Fenway strategies, which is a really like, they do like speech writing and all that kind of stuff. And it, he's a, he was an interesting guy, but one of the things we were talking about, and you'll find this concept interesting is what are like the three to five to eight principles around sort of analytics and data and betting or whatnot that can explain like all of the fallacies that humans make in terms of decision-making. So one is like loss aversion is clearly one, right? Like loss aversion. Another is like availability heuristic or like recency bias. Like, again, like most of the mistakes that we make in life, another is like principal agent problem where like you have misaligned incentives and it leads people to make bad decisions. But one that I didn't come up with, and actually now that we're like, and then I told him like, oh, another word, and it's like arbitrary endpoints, like, you know, sample, small sample sizes, whatever. One that I didn't come up with and that you and I were talking about is variance, right? People not understanding what variance really means, right? Like if you, and then ultimately looking for patterns and things where they don't exist. So I guess like, that's a little bit of like gambler's fallacy or whatnot, but just the concept of variance is like fascinating to me and how even, you know, so many of these concepts, what was interesting was Sam said to me, well, do you fall for these? And I was like, yeah, I do. Oh, I mean, we're I, like, human. Literally... It's our instinct. Like you have to fight that. You, you know, you know, in your head. Right. But sometimes, but you still feel it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's the variance thing is fascinating. Right. Because like we talked about this all the time in baseball, right. And in, in baseball, there was always this like cyclical or this, like you had like, um, you had like even years you'd win and odd years you lose and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then also there's times in baseball. I know when you're betting the whole season where there was always like, like right around the all-star break, you tend, like, I always remember I tended to like lose whether it was before or after, and then you would win a lot in like August and then September, most of the time people stop betting because like the rosters expand and like everything's different or whatnot. But like, it's interesting. When do you think, how do you know when things are just variants? And we're going to talk college basketball with our guests later, but and I think that one of the things that I wanted to talk about there was this concept of like, when do you know things are variants and when are they like truly cyclical or truly like something that is different in the model? Like you talked about your college basketball stuff early yeah. on where like once the conference season started, you guys were not doing particularly well. And once like they kind of settled into conference play, you seem to be doing well again. Do you think that was variance or do you think there was something there? I think it's a combination of both. And I think misidentifying variance is actually signal can actually be adaptive because I think that at times it can cause you to sort of investigate things and find things. Now, if, if we hadn't run poorly early in the conference season, we probably might not have looked into the fact that, that maybe conference games are more predictive than non-conference games and predicting conference games, things like that. And we wouldn't have found stuff there, even though, the primary driver of our results was variance. Have you, have you found, have you found many sports? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say though, that's kind of the art of sports betting in a way. And you can, it's why machine learning, just unsupervised machine learning, I don't believe will ever be as effective as a well thought out model. And because you know, if I add 
if I add a dummy variable in my college football model that says team starts with an O, that would add a ton of predictive power to it because O, well, this, I don't know if this has been the case in recent years, but teams starting with the letter O over a 15 year period covered at a 56% rate over, uh, over like, I think it was 500 games, 400 games, maybe 700. It was a high number of games. And you'd be like, there's no way that can be random. But of course, you know, it's random. There's, there's, I mean, if you, but if you saw, if there was some other trend and you, that you knew wasn't just ludicrous, you would say, oh, look, this is a real thing. And so I think being able to kind of discern what is real from what isn't real is big in modeling and big in trying to figure out patterns in your model and whether things are going well or not. Like I looked back at last year, I mean, it, last year's results and the year before, and I was kind of trying to see, I was looking at some things because it's been a half a year since we brought on our new partner. And literally all our profit came in the last four weeks. Now that wasn't always the case. We were up at a certain point and then we had a downswing and then we had a massive upswing in the last four weeks. But I looked at last year and last year we had a four week stretch that in May, and I think early June, that actually included the Mito Pereira collapse. So it would have been an even bigger stretch had he not collapsed. Um, but that four week stretch accounted for about 90% of our profit from January to August. And so it's like, you take that away. We didn't do anything, but at the same time, you could say, oh, look, if I just take only my winning weeks, you know, look how great I was and only look my losing weeks, look how bad I was. It's the fact that when things happen consecutively, I think you tend to sort of see patterns there when in reality they had to happen in some order. Well, even just the concept of a week is an arbitrary endpoint, right? Like you, you're already, you're introducing like all of these different cherry picking, as you said on text message, where you're just continuing to cherry pick and cherry pick, right? It really is. And so for me to bring it back to how, what, how, you know, something is, is sort of variance versus something is real. I, I think the stuff I was looking through today, I don't believe there's anything like real to that. I think it's just, these are the weeks we happen to, to do well. These are the weeks we happen to not do well, but when there are patterns in terms of, oh, it's happening in this particular spot in this sport where you can kind of craft a narrative around it, that's where it's dangerous, but that's where you can actually find issues in your model weaknesses, but also at times when you can sort of misidentify randomness as actually real signal. Yeah. So one, one thing I was wondering about, because I've been like talking to this guy that bets a lot of, of soccer. And so I was interested in so like some of the soccer things. And he like talked to me about form, which is, I guess, like a, a stat in soccer. I think like, that's a British way like how, of saying, I think it's a British word form. He's in good yeah. form. So is it, what sports have you found where short, because like there's this classic, like longer sample size, tends to create, you know, better predictive value, like near term sample size is less, uh, more, uh, re you remember it more. So availability heuristic, um, and, but maybe not as predictive, but I know in like golf, like, you know, recent performance is something that is more predictive. Um, is that, first of all, is that true? And second of all, like, what are, what are the sports that you've seen where, almost like recent performance is more predictive than a longer sample size. 
I think it's very nuanced, Jeff. And I think saying recent performance versus long-term performance isn't really looking at it the right way. I think it's a continuum. I think long-term performance has a weight, but and short-term performance has a weight, and you figure out exactly what that curve should look like. It might be a different shape for one thing than another. For example, in football, um, I would assume I haven't that field goal kicking performance, you know, long-term performance matters a lot more there. It's a very shallow DK curve. Last week matters, you know, last week matters just as much as this week in forecasting the next week. Like five weeks ago isn't discernibly different. Whereas a guy's strokes gained off the tee five weeks ago matters a lot less than this week does, you know, for putting, not as much. So there's also the, the, my point is even within a sport, different metrics, different skills have different weightings for short and long-term. And I think that's where a lot of edge can be had if you realize that. And so you're less likely to misattribute performance that was in a statistic, let's say in a skill where recent form doesn't matter that much um, as really predictive, right? So if, I mean, I think the classic example that, that is pretty well known out there now is that is putting, you know, people, if a guy puts really poorly round one and shot a bad score as a result of that, it's not like he's a really, really bad putter. And the market used to very much overreact to that, I think. Um, but it would be different if he had played really, really poorly driving the ball. So if, I mean, I, th- I think the fact that these different skills decay at different rates have different weightings, um, creates opportunity. If you can understand that better than the market. Makes sense. Uh, why don't we welcome in our guests now and, uh, we'll talk to you guys all again on the flip side. We now welcome in our guest, Eli Hershkovitz. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Can we just call you Eli H? Although <laughs> We can go with that. He has an ex-fiance named Eli H, so it's kind of awkward yeah. as, we, <laughs> as we talk about this. Um, we wanted someone to come on and educate us on college basketball. Theoretically, we've been heads down uh, on our football stuff, and, and Rufus is doing some college basketball betting these days, but Generally, he still probably doesn't know the names of any players. So we wanted someone who know, knew the name. Do you know the names of players, which is which is probably important to this conversation? I think I can handle that, yes. Okay, perfect. So <laughs> what got you into this? What do you currently do? What makes you qualified to be on this podcast with seven listeners talking about college basketball? Well, in fairness, my podcast only has eight listeners. So we're we're one up on You're you beating guys. Us. But... You're beating us. Yeah. <laughs> By one. Um, yeah, I... Exactly. I got started in sports betting. I I first got started in sports media, working in a sports radio station in Chicago. And then I actually met Rufus, started bugging him and asking him to come on our college basketball or sports betting podcast. When I moved out to Philadelphia, helping launch the sports betting network with Odyssey. And then I kind of bet on myself, I guess I wanted to create my own content which I was already doing when I was doing some some college basketball write-ups for the Action Network a few years before that, but moved over to Katina Media, moved back home to Chicago to write about college basketball, write about all the other sports betting markets, but built a following on college basketball for pretty much the last five or six years up until this season, just because I've been dealing with some family health issues. I've, I bet on college basketball every single day. So love the sport. 
grew up a college basketball fan and, and now I bet on it a ton. So it's a lot of fun. What's your process for analyzing college basketball? Like what, what do you look for? How do you, how do you find edges in the games and the teams? Yeah. So after I left Odyssey, because I wasn't doing audio or video for the last year, I pretty much spent a lot of time learning how to build a model. Like I didn't really have the time to do that before. And obviously betting on college basketball, I use situational spots. I used college basketball metrics, advanced metrics, which I still definitely use and obviously incorporate that into my model. But over the last year, I guess from 2021 up until this upcut or this current season, I took the time the previous off season to build that model and, and learn everything that went into it because I had my own handicapping strategy, but the model allowed me to look at things a little bit differently and approach things a little bit differently. And I had a really profitable last college basketball season. So obviously, you know, I was talking about this with Matt Metcalf on my last college basketball podcast, the Lions College Basketball Podcast. We were going through situational spots and how important that is even for a numbers guy like him that relies on power ratings and obviously have those for my college basketball uh, needs. And that's over at thelines.com. But I really hone in on my model more than ever now to kind of evaluate where I see a team uh, even from the eye test, I use other analytics, like I mentioned too. Shot quality is really important because you're not only looking from an eye test standpoint of, okay, like was was this team uh, from an evaluation perspective taking good shots, but shot quality allows you to actually evaluate that from a number set. So a lot of different factors go into it, but definitely the last year, two years has allowed me to hone in on college basketball a bit differently than I have been in the past. Can you tell me a little bit more about the situational spots and how you sort of evaluate whether something you found is is real or no versus noise and just randomness? Yeah. So using this last week as an example, or I guess in the grand scheme of things, if you take into account that teams besides Miami, if you look at ranked teams going on the road to unranked teams, so again, I'm not, I'm about to say a trend. I know how you guys feel about trends. I'm not a trends person myself, but it helps evaluate and it helps justify the notion that situational spots are important because for teams not named Miami of Florida, the Miami Hurricanes, this college basketball season, unranked home teams against ranked opponents are 30 and 10 against the spread. And let's use last night, Tuesday, as an example. Michigan State, a three, three and a half point favorite. That's where they closed against Indiana. Hoosiers came into that game, winners of nine of their last 10. And then you factor in Michigan State with what happened with the shooting last week. Not to say that, not to take light of that by any means, but obviously human emotion. I know Rufus mentions this a lot. Human emotion is definitely important to factor into handicapping. Spartans were also coming off a loss to Michigan over the weekend. And you might look at that line and say, why is Michigan State laying three points against an Indiana team that's playing really good basketball of late? And Michigan State relies on jump shots with Tyson Walker and A.J. Hogard and Joey Hauser from the perimeter. But Michigan State pretty much shot lights out from the tail end of the first half into the second half. And they end up winning that game comfortably. And then you also, if you look over the weekend, Kentucky 
was a short dog, short home dog to Tennessee, which is ranked number 11 in the AP top 25 currently. And the Wildcats ended up sweeping Tennessee and, and dominating inside and dominating defensively. And that's a Kentucky team that, yes, was coming into the season with, I think, the fourth or fifth shortest odds to win the national title, but underperformed for much of this year. So it, it again, it goes to the notion, by no means should you just bet on uh, unranked teams at home against ranked teams randomly. But if you take into account your model, take into account advanced metrics, take into account situational spots, and again, going back to that Indiana-Michigan State game, Indiana also plays Purdue this weekend. So a little bit of a look-ahead spot for the Hoosiers going back to Tuesday night. So all those factors kind of boil into why situational spots are really important. Well, unfortunately, well, so we were on we Indiana yesterday. But actually, Jeff, I wanted to ask something here first. No, no, no. Can we let's let's go back to that because, spots. because like that, that's a good point, right? On that Indiana one, right? What what did you make that like Rufus? What did you guys make that line? Right. Because ultimately the reason the line was probably inflated, it was the situational spot, right? Yeah. I was go gonna, ahead, Rufus. I was gonna ask though, what so this whole notion of uh, the unranked team at home against the ranked um, visitor. Are you able to, what you, what you were saying that the spot is the fact that the market is underestimating the, the home unranked team. Now, is it that there is something about that that wouldn't be caught captured in your, in, in a quantitative model, or is it the fact that the market essentially the, just doesn't have as good enough model to kind of capture that. Like, is there some added, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is there some sort of added thing? Like, is it a motivational angle because they want to beat the ranked team, you know, for, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, what about, what if it's against the 26th, the, the, I guess the top other team receiving votes in the AP top 25, right? Um, does that, I mean, like, what is, I guess, is it, is it something in addition to the model? Yeah, no, 100%. And just combining that with what Jeff mentioned, too, a little bit ago, I made the game, I think Michigan State minus one, minus one and a half. So you look at that line and why is Michigan State favored by three points? I think it closed at three and a half again at some spots. And you have to factor in those the, the situational spot of why Michigan State was favored by nearly two possessions against a an Indiana team that beat them earlier in conference play. All those factors are extremely important. And over the last couple of years, especially as people get betters, novice betters, more experienced betters, any, any sort of sports better, once people get more, I guess, used to or start to look into, maybe, I guess, normalize the college basketball metrics, start to get more normalized, like Kempom, Bartorvik, Haslam metrics. Once that starts to become more commonplace, and you see, okay, Michigan State is favored by two or three on this college basketball metric site, maybe it makes more sense, then it's being baked into the number more. And therefore, the line might be inflated where you might be, if you guys bet Indiana last, last night saying, okay, Hoosiers are undervalued because this line is up to three, three and a half. And I totally get it. I wish Indiana beat Michigan State last night because I have Indiana futures. So that would have made them a lot more valuable. But the spot in that instance, considering everything going into Michigan State from an emotional standpoint after what happened over the last week, definitely played a role. 
What what did Ken Palm make that line? Do we know? I think it was, let me go, I'll double check right now. Believe it was around two and a half or three. Let me see here. Oh, it had no, it actually had Michigan State by one. So there you go. It was, it was inflated in terms of the market. And it, I mean, Michigan State opened, I think, two and a half, three. So but, it was bad. But Ken Palm is there's yeah, okay. Ken Palm is clearly not taking any situational, right? That's literally looking at the two ratings the next strengths. to each other and saying, yeah. Right. So but is the so, fact that it's a ranked, like a ranked team going on the road against an unranked team and all the emotion and all that worth, like, I don't know where the line closed, worth like two and a half, three points? Like, I find that kind of hard well, to... The, 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 okay, I mean, so yeah. so this is this, this is like, you're this is Eli, wait, we... we you, you're in the lion's den right now on on <laughs> on situational stuff because ultimately, yeah. Rufus is someone that believes that if there's such a thing, like you should have it baked into your model, and exactly. otherwise you really shouldn't play something on it because theoretically, you are playing what analytics would tell you is a negative EV bet, meaning like Ken Palm, all these analytic systems. But I would say college basketball, more than almost any sport, right, has like these exogenous factors that can't be taken that that like literally these you know straight analytics models don't take into account i think and i would challenge you that to say like when do you know that that situational number is situational padding is real and when is it just something you should bet against because almost always i would side towards rufus's numbers which i didn't sure. actually know and i actually bet michigan state last night so that that feels good because I didn't know Rufus's numbers, but I because I would have gone yeah. with Rufus's numbers and been wrong because I would always go personally with analytics over some situational analysis that like I haven't heard you say something that has convinced me that that situational analysis is anything that's really quantifiable or able to be recognized, you know, before the fact, I guess. You know what I mean? No, like it's, it's 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 in to quote like the 30 and 10, but that's after the fact. Right. And that's whatnot. Like, and so, you yeah. know, like, should we, would you, would you espouse going forward blindly betting unranked home against non-ranked? No, no, absolutely not. And just to preface too, I didn't bet Michigan state. I didn't bet the game. So I'm not saying, okay, like hindsight, like you kind of said is, is 2020. I'm therefore Michigan state was the better bet. And I guess to quantify it a little bit, and if you look at Indiana during their, I mean, it wasn't a winning streak, winning nine of 11 games, but the amount that they rely on Trace Jackson Davis, you guys brought up bringing up names. So I'll throw a name into the equation. I know him. He's a big, I don't know a single college really basketball good. player. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> no, I know he's so, good. I've watched, watched enough Indiana to know he's good. Right. Yeah. He's one of the best players of the country. If it wasn't for Zach Eady, who's a monster wooden award favorite, by the way, this is a ton of fun. I love talking process with you guys. But the amount that the, uh, the Hoosiers have relied on him offensively, like if you look at his metrics, his advanced metrics, I wanted to bring this stat up, so I'm glad I was able to. He has a higher assist rate. I think it's around 27.5% than Yogi Ferrell going back to that Indiana team that won the Big Ten regular season title in 2015-2016. And he's one of the best scorers in the country, and he's one of the best rebounders, rebounders in the country. So Indiana relies on him so much especially during this stretch that if you watch that's why the eye test matters too and i'm not to say value eye test over numbers i'm not trying to 
to quantify that or qualify that, however you want to frame it. But what I'm saying is if you've watched Indiana closely, like I have been, and also used advanced metrics, like I do use models, like I do, and factor everything into, I guess, your informal equation of how you want to go about betting on college basketball on a game-by-game basis or from a future standpoint, you would have recognized that Indiana is worn down, especially Jackson Davis. And if you watch his body language, I mean, he missed two gimme layups to start the second half that kind of swung the the game. And and I think, Rufus, you if, if Jackson Davis finished those, Indiana probably covers. Uh, and also Michigan State just hit a bunch of shots. That's why just to, you know, I get so annoyed, right? And like I kind of brought up to you guys at the beginning, I've had to take a little bit of a break from betting on college basketball on a game-by-game basis just because of the nature of what I'm going through in my personal life, which I'm sure you guys can understand. Um, But when what people don't understand is the process, the long-term process versus short-term results, which I think you guys were alluding to, because Michigan State hit some disgusting shots in the second half. Tyson Walker was hitting pull-ups with two or three seconds left on the shot clock. And if I bet Indiana or Rufus, I don't know if you had people coming after you on Twitter saying, oh, how did you bet Indiana? Because Michigan State was clearly the right side. No, maybe Michigan State was playing with a lot of emotion, which to go back to my point, the situational spot, and they played desperately and they hit some really tough shots that wouldn't normally go in on a neutral floor in March Madness. So that's why kind of going back to what I've been saying this whole time, there are so many different factors that boil into college basketball, whether it's betting on human emotion in a situational spot. By no means should you just tail a random t- uh, trend going back to your original question, Jeff. Well, I mean. This is all well and good, right? This whole narrative around rest and like this home rate. But I mean, if you look at the underlying statistics for that game, right? Michigan State shot 18 of 19 on free throws. They shot 10 of 21 on three-pointers. And that variance alone could almost explain the difference, right? Indiana shot five of 14 or 35%, which is still actually reasonable for a college basketball team and 12 of 16 on free throws. But Michigan State shot the lights out and they out rebounded them 30 to 22, which is maybe something around quote unquote effort. Although Indiana missed more shots. So you'd expect Michigan state to get more rebounds. I, I just think that this narrative that we're creating around this game, and, and it, it's actually a pretty fascinating conversation because ultimately like you as a content provider, so like no one knows Rufus bet Indiana. So no one's coming on him on Twitter until, until this. So he doesn't have to worry they about it. you. You're in the content <laughs> business full yeah. time. So you have to come up with these, how, how much of this is a narrative versus something that really is predictive and useful for a better. Like my my I, I'm 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 starting to feel like this is like a lot of narrative and conjecture because ultimately, and and you know, as someone that was bet Michigan State yesterday, I didn't even look at this. I just looked at the fact that like I knew the bet looked dead in the first quarter and the first half half of the yeah. first half, right? And then They're all of a sudden big. it looked great, great right at halftime and then looked amazing the entire second half. And so you know, that that's what I know. But now that I look at the underlying statistics, there's a lot of shooting variance that was yes. in here. Now, was the shooting variance caused by Michigan State getting really good looks because they were working a really good offense? You're telling me not really. They were just making some shots. And so if I were you personally, I wouldn't be looking back on this and being like, okay, this was unranked versus ranked. We should have known this. This was effort. This was a situational spot. I would say like, 
this is variance. And that that's pretty much all it is. And like, if we went back in time and had a chance to bet this game, would we bet Indiana or would we bet Michigan state at that three and a half number? And I probably would say I, I have, no one's told me anything that makes me not want to bet on Indiana. No, I'm, I'm with you, man. I think we're on the same page. Cause again, I didn't bet Michigan state. I was just using it as an example. And I do not use trends when I bet on college basketball games. You have a lot of Twitter handicappers that do just that, that will put out a college basketball trend. And I don't, you know, we don't need to get into names, well, but going or yeah, going, I just want to make one more point too, because you said a, a great point. You mentioned that you would, you wouldn't look at Indiana differently down the road and obviously on the flip side, you maybe downgrade or have Michigan State rated the same after that game, which I, I agree with because they were hitting tough shots. And I think the effort by Race Thompson, especially on some of those switches were, I mean, because Indiana played drop coverage with Trace Jackson Davis, which allowed a lot of those open threes. That's what I'm saying. There are a lot of different factors that go into my handicapping. But one more point that I want to make is I... I definitely don't downgrade Indiana. I don't look at Indiana any differently. I have national title features on them at 50 to one, 55 to one. I think I have them power rated as a top 10 team. So by no means did last night's result change my opinion of this team. And to Rufus's point, change any sort of short-term notion that Indiana isn't valuable in any context. Rufus, did you have anything? Yeah, I was going to say in general, like, the the I think trends can be useful as a way to think about things to be like, oh, is there something here that that my model isn't accounting for or that I didn't think to put in my model? And then, you know, if some trend applies, right? I don't want to I don't want to count on the market being inefficient like it has been if it's some sort of trend against the spread. Um, and I don't I also don't necessarily know if that's baked into my number until I look at adding it. Like if I add essentially a variable in my model to say, oh, am I low on teams in this particular situation? Then I can sure. say, oh, this situational spot of being a unranked home team against a ranked road team is worth, you know, a half a point or something like that overall. And, and you can dive into things, into things that way. I think these things are useful. And I, but I think to be able to actually quantify whether it's essentially the market it's whether it's randomness it's just you know randomness against the spread or if it's something that the market is fundamentally not valuing correctly you know rather than just count on rather than not knowing how much it's worth then you can sort of see how much it's worth and to be able to get a sense of where if there's value just using your own model and not relying on on the trend well i think it no for sure i think it also justifies at least this season because in terms of a power rating or how much you account for something in your given model home court advantage this year in college basketball I think that's what it shows more than anything but it also correlates to parity which I'm sure we'll get to uh, in, this, in this conversation because parity in college basketball this season is not even close to what it's been in years past probably since the 2013-2014 season when UConn beat Kentucky in the national title game. Obviously, those are two teams that underperformed in the regular season, being a seven and eight seed respectively. But home court advantage is, I, I guess, in terms of the way the market saw it last night, it's baked into the number enough, but you have to take that into account. So just, I guess, having this conversation go full circle, 
if I was to make the case before last night's game for either side, I would say it's a stay away because of all those factors, not to bet Indiana, not to bet, not to bet Michigan state because of, again, the home court advantage and, and everything else that went into it from a, from a rest standpoint, from how much trace Jackson Davis's usage has been up over the last a handful, two handful of games for, for the Hoosiers during their during their big stretch that's propelled them to this point in the Big Ten standing. So, again, there are a ton of factors that we can go back and forth on for sure. Okay. So let's move on um, because, the, I mean, I think that was an interesting discussion, so I, I, I don't hate us for that. Um, let's talk – we'll do a little bit on, like, some futures value going forward, teams watching the tournament, and then we'll give you the seven questions and get you out of here. Um, actually, one thing I do – I think would be interesting to talk about is this idea of talent in college hoops. Um, you know, you brought up Kentucky, clearly a talented team. Um, and then even just some of these young teams or even like teams like UNC or Duke, um, how do we expect these teams to show in the tournament? If in some cases, if they make it um, is college basketball and, and Rufus, I'd be interested to hear from your perspective too, in terms of what you guys are doing. How much do we look at priors as a measure of talent for these players versus, you know, like we always talk a little bit about in college football, like looking at the preseason uh, top 25 being very indicative of, you know, which teams have the most talent and and the best recruits. Um, is there, is there an analogy? Is it there an analogy in college basketball or do we just kind of, is there enough sample size in college basketball where that's not true? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's def- there are definitely a lot of different layers to it. Like, if you look at a team, like you brought up UNC, so let's start there. Tar Heels, you want to talk about variance. That's why they're short, like their six-game run to the national title game last year. Because you could, if you take last season's full body of work with UNC, they underperformed, quote-unquote, in the regular season. They make their run to the national title game, nearly beat a Kansas team that kind of got a fortunate path to get to New Orleans as well. But then you look at some of the underlying metrics that went into that. And again, this correlates to this season with priors because a lot of people's college basketball power ratings would still have UNC maybe top 15 at the least, top 20 at the least, even if you didn't have them power rated as a top five or a top five team because of what I'm about to mention. But UNC got a ton of positive three-point variance not only offensively with some of their contested shot making with Brady Maddock, who they lost coming into the season, which was a huge loss. And if you didn't account for that, I guess shame on you. But um, they also got a lot of three-point variance defensively because I think opponents on their run to the title game, excluding Kansas in the national championship, shot around 30% from three. And UNC's perimeter defense, they give up a lot of open shots. That's why I, I brought up shot quality, a metric site like that is important to look at because it gives you open shot rate and it it tracks every single shot for every single team across the entire college basketball season. So if you account for that, even with UNC maybe being a top 20 team in, in most people's power ratings, I would say priors don't necessarily matter because you look at the way UNC has played. I don't, ex- I mean, I don't think they're going to make the NCAA tournament at this point. So just again, using the Tar Heels as a, a prime example, or let's say they go on a late season run. Let's say they 
somehow win the ACC tournament. I mean, considering it's such a weak conference, one of the worst conferences in college basketball among the Power Five conferences, then I would not expect any sort of a run from UNC. And even if, let's say, their odds are at 50 or 60 to one, and and maybe you power rated them as a top 10 team coming in, so therefore you see value in their title features. I don't think there's any sort of value, but you brought up talent. And so let's take the number one team in the country as of right now. And there are a lot of layers going into Alabama too, because of the investigation, quote unquote investigation with Brandon Miller being connected to a former Alabama player that was kicked off uh, because of a, a shooting. And we don't need to get into it more than that, but Alabama is very young and very talented uh, with Noah Clowney up front, too, to go alongside Brandon Miller. A little bit more experience in the backcourt with Mark Sears, a mid-major transfer, coming over from Ohio this season. And they run a pace and space offense with under, under Nate Oates. So up-tempo, shoot a lot of threes, and can also rebound the basketball really well. But, you know, going back to that UConn title game, so in, over the last decade um, in college basketball, the youngest team we've seen win a national title was 2014-2015 Duke, which you obviously have Coach K, you have Jaleel Okafor, you have Tyus Jones, and you have a freshman, uh, Grayson Allen, at that point, which is wild to think about. It was, what, eight, nine years ago going back. But you, essentially, long story short, you don't see a lot of young teams make deep runs and even when you get that sort of variance that UNC got to make the title game last year, they were experienced to an extent, and they had been through the wars of the ACC. You had Hubert Davis, who was an assistant on Roy Williams' staff. You had experienced-ish guards in Caleb Love and um, R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott up front, and Brady Maddock, who had been through the wars of the Big 12. And that's why, again, going back to my original point, losing Manic was a, a huge loss for UNC going into this season. Awesome. So did you want my physics. take on priors too? Yes, I'd love your I, was, take. I mean, I was going to say like the priors, it's, it's it, I think it's similar to college football, except with college basketball, individual players mean a lot more. And so you're looking at, you're looking at how many minutes, what, how many minutes you're returning, um, and the quality of those players, basically like net inflows, net outflows weighted by um, contribution and expected contribution. And so I think like you're going to, I mean, I think short answer, yes, I think priors still matter. I think there's certain areas where they matter more than others, where you're more quick to move away from your priors than others. Um, but clearly like having talented players um, matters. And I think matters more. Well, early in the season, especially if you have more turnover, it takes time for these teams to kind of gel together. And so I think that you, you you can oftentimes see a team that you kind of dismissed because they struggled early in the season. That's a very talented team. They have a lot of high rated recruits that turns it on late. And it's because there's, there's this underlying talent and they just had to come together as a team and get experience playing with each other and, and learn to play college basketball. I mean, a lot of the, so times you have freshmen coming in, it's, I mean, it's just like golfers that have become professional there. There's suddenly it's a different, um, it's a different environment that they've been, than they've been in before, um, away from their family and that kind of thing oftentimes. And so I'm, I don't know what the, what the actual reason is, or if it's the same in all cases, but my point is that, <laughs> Yes, I still think priors still matter in the same way 
that they do in college football. And if you have two teams that have performed at the same level, I think that, you know, to this point in the season, I would take the team that his bit that is more talented and has underachieved their talent over the team that has far exceeded expectations. There you go. That's a good, that's a good rule to go by. Um, we're going to ask him the seven questions to get him out of here. So okay. you ready? Yeah, are, let's do it. These are, who's funnier, Rufus or Jeff? That's tough. I would have to say. It's not really that tough, but whatever. Yeah, it is. I would go Rufus. What? Let's go. Oh my God. That's the first time Rufus <laughs> has ever won that, unless it's unintentional comedy. Well, no, Who's... I think other times people were like, well, Rufus isn't funny, but Jeff is actively unfunny. Oh, ouch. Who's Yikes. smarter, Rufus or Jeff? Wow. See, I've been listening to you guys for a long time. So I think I have a good understanding. Rufus. Damn, I swept. Wow, you swept. Least this, relatable. This, this might be a first. It's probably a first. We're, we're, we're memorializing this podcast. <laughs> we're probably never airing this podcast. Least relatable food that you like. Least relatable food that I like? Mm-hmm. What do you For, mean? Yeah. So, so Rufus and I once were asked, we we're discussing what our favorite things to eat with when we're watching games. And Rufus talked about canned smoked mussels. And I talked about black truffle potato chips, which prompted a Twitter person to say, these are two of the most least relatable people you'll ever meet. So that brought this question, which is least relatable food that you like. The thing that you eat that someone would go, God, that guy is not someone I would ever want to hang out with. Frozen carrots. Do you eat them while they're frozen? No, no, I hear oh, so, oh. you. Want Carrot, to talk about carrotsicles? You eat, carrotsicles? Okay, so you microwave them? Yeah, and then yeah, I them. microwave them during, and I eat them sometimes during games. Yeah. Okay. Healthy. F- favorite gambling moment? Oof. Um, probably the sweat I had when Texas Tech made the national title against Virginia in the 2018-19 season. I know they didn't win, but I was able to hedge off some of my futures. I had 100 to 1. So I, I was coming out profitable no matter what. But that game went to overtime. And it might not have been enjoyable to some, but since I love college basketball so much, and it was a it was a great game. But also, well, also being at, I take that back because it was very, I was very angry in overtime. So last year, being at the final four, um, being at the national title game in person with a UNC plus four ticket when Dwan Harris stepped out of bounds that gave UNC the ball back because Kansas would have went to the free throw line and probably won by five. So I would have lost my bet, but Dwan Harris turned it over. UNC gets the possession, misses the three. So game doesn't go to overtime and I win my, my UNC plus plus four bet. So that was pretty awesome. Okay. Uh, let's see here. The next question is the uh, favorite bet you are making in the next year. Favorite that I haven't already placed, or can it be that I just recently? You can play. I mean, you can talk about your futures bet on Indiana, which seems like something you're pretty happy about. So, is that is that the one? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited about it. I hope they don't get upset by Southern Miss or some crappy mid major, or just a comparison in the Kent State, maybe in the the first round of the tournament, like we see with four or five seeds. But I'm definitely pumped about that. I was in Vegas this past weekend. And I placed a, uh, I mean, I have a bunch of other college basketball futures, but I placed a Jose Abreu 150 to one ticket, which is by far the best price in the market at Circa. I think 85 or 80 to one at pretty much at every other book. 
to win AL MVP long shot, but considering he's going to likely the best team in baseball protected being in the best lineup protection wise that he's ever had former AL MVP in his own right too. So I guess I'm excited about that. I don't know how well it'll pan out, probably a donation more than anything, but kind of exciting, I guess. What about uh, the hedge you're going to make on UCLA and the NCAA championship game against Indiana? See what Oof. I did there? Are you a UCLA uh, grad? No, but uh, my wife and my in-laws are. So I'm a closet UCLA fan because unfortunately, um, MIT is never in the NCAA tournament, at least not the division one one. Uh, worst loss you've MIT ever had. <laughs> worst, worst, worst loss you've ever had. It's actually a it's it's a funny transition from UCLA because two years ago, three years ago, 2020. Yeah. So two years ago, Alabama, UCLA, I bet Alabama sec. I had Alabama futures at 80 to one. So I brought up NATO. It's love that Alabama team, Herbert Jones, Javon Quinterly, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I can ramble on about the tide, but they were, I bet them. What mine, I think minus five and a half, minus six, second half. They were down 10 or 11. So all I needed them to do was lose by five. They were covering pretty much. They made a, a big run to start the second half. They were covering pretty much every single minute there on forward in the second half. Then who was it? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. But one of Alabama's backup bigs hit a three to send the game to overtime. UCLA ends up winning that game by 12 points in overtime. So it wasn't one of those things where you know an underdog is going to die because Alabama was favored, uh, I think, by a couple possessions entering the game, but I essentially got them as a dog in-game. And I had a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money on Alabama's second half, and uh, I was pretty, pretty freaking pissed. Person you'd follow blindly. I don't really tail anybody in betting. Um, I kind of, you, I guess. It can be life. Can be life? It can be in life, yeah. Can I, can I, so like, I, like literally any person, like from a, from an emotional standpoint, Wait, from let, a. Let's, let's unpack, let's unpack this. Why do you not follow any, why do you not tail it? If, if you knew I don't tail anybody you could get access. Me. Right, but. You're a very positive EV better. My my analysis of Eli so far is there are probably people we know that are better, more positive EV betters than he, he is, right? So like if you That's had an opportunity. Nice. It's, yeah, it's kind of rude, know, Jeff. It's it's on brand for me, right? So I had to say that. No, yeah. you don't think there's, you don't think there's people that are out there that are, I certainly believe there's much more positive EV betters there's, than I am. There's more positive EV betters than me too. Yeah. Right, like you, you would choose Dave. No, so- so exactly so as but much I still as it wouldn't like blindly tail david out probably you know you had said you'd follow him blindly no it, okay you so literally, I, you literally I, had this the conversation whose opinion I, I i took it as the person whose opinion i value the most not whether i blindly bet something they bet it so if if you knew billy walters was playing something and you could no. get the exact same number that he got right would well, you play? Hey, i wouldn't know if it was his real thing like but that's what I'm saying. Like you get for in this in this fictitious world, you know it's his real play, and you know the number he got it, and you're able to get it. Well, because he's probably manipulated impossible. something. I don't know. Yeah, would you fall? Would you bet it or not? Billy Walters isn't the best handicapper in the world. Okay, fine, fine. He's the best um, better. He's good. Like, <laughs> so you're saying if I can get an off market number that was dummied, sure. Yeah. No. Okay. How about how about back in the day when Haralabob was crushing NBA second halves? You know, if you were able to get down, sure. get down on what he got down, 
I I would for sure with her album. So, okay. Okay. I mean, but this is also now we're going off of hind like hindsight. I know that my, my, really my, good. the reason I was now. kind of the re, the reason I was kind of bringing this on is like my question would be like if Eli, do you have access to people that you really consider to be positive EV betters, i.e., professional betters, or the people that you have access to to tail? Are they just people you would see publicly posting information? No, I have I have access to to people that bat a lot more than I do. I mean, I, you know, for, I guess for, I have no problem with disclosing this information for a random college basketball game. When I had been betting over the last five or six years, it got up to four figures. So again, I don't know where that compares to you guys. Obviously Rufus bets a hell of a lot more than I do, but no, I like, I don't care to tail anybody. Like, I don't want, especially if I'm going to bet that much money. I mean, obviously my unit size, because I didn't want to throw out a unit size because I, I hate when people just bring up units, but my my unit size for Major League Baseball or NFL isn't as much as college basketball, but I've, I've been pretty profitable betting college basketball over the last five or six years. So maybe I'm not the most plus EV college basketball better, but I definitely have been very profitable in that regard. So if someone told me that they're betting X side in college basketball, and I, I know they're profitable. I, I know they maybe put down five or six figures on a bet. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't bet it. I think there is something to like knowing what well, goes into your own like process your- versus other people's. Like I remember back in the day, I got, there was somebody who would send me his baseball plays too. And I know he made money betting baseball, but inevitably I might lay off of a, a bet because he disagreed or something. And then it was really annoying when the bet won and I didn't play it because of that. And so to me, it was just like that kind of, I think tailing somebody else's thing or or using it to not bet something myself is negative EV mentally for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I, sorry, I apologize if what the way I said that came off the wrong way, but the reality is that like, I personally, it think if I'm bothering betting and I have an opportunity to place what I know is a positive EV bet um, and I don't do it, like I just would wonder why you would not put, not have that opportunity. Like, especially since like, I know that bets I'm making aren't necessarily positive EV at times, right? Realistically, like, so why not? If someone's like, I don't know, maybe it just comes back to like my blackjack background where it's like, if I don't, if I like, don't max out my opportunity when I'm in positive EV blackjack situations, right? Like, you know, like, I don't know. Anyways, um, Rufus, anything else? Hopefully Eli doesn't hate me after my statement, but the thing is, the thing is, Eli, most people think Jeff doesn't like them. And the, well, I, got, so, I had to get him, I had to get him, I had to get him back for his thinking that you're both smarter, better looking <laughs> and funnier than I am. So, Oh, I see where um, it's coming from. Okay. I don't yeah. think you, I don't think you decide. Listen, man, I, I respect you guys. I, Jeff, you might be with you. What do you DM me to come on the podcast? I asked you to come on, I think, before I asked Rufus to come on a, a podcast that I've worked out in the past. So maybe that says, maybe that gives you a, the praise that you're looking for. It's all right. I'm, I'm a type three in Enneagram, which is my personality type, which means I seek, I seek positive acknowledgement from people. So, <laughs> uh, Thank you for joining us, Eli. Uh, You've been a good sport and uh, hopefully people enjoyed this. So thanks. Yeah, no, it was a ton of fun, guys. Really appreciate the uh, the invite. Well, that was our interview with Eli Hershkovitz, um, who um, may never come back on this podcast after I- Well, not not after you told him he wasn't 
you told him that he was no wasn't the I mean, most positive the reality is i was i was in, it, well it was interesting discussion right i feel I like phrase that differently that's fine all. okay sorry like i said i'm direct um like if you told me i wasn't I the most positive vv better i would take it as an insult even if it's true you said it yourself that there's people in the world that you think are much more positive vv i just think it's an interesting thing to say i would sure never tail anyone right like because i think that like you know it's like a different it's a different mentality right like because you know we're when we had little zach on he said hey jeff if you sent me something i'd probably tell like there's like well, I'm the same the, way. Little Zach has a lot of gamble in him, just like you. Little Zach is That's gonna what I'm like, saying. like it's it's, it's just he, he'll fire he'll fire hard on something. It's an interesting mentality for me to to think that like someone is betting a lot, and yet and and I don't again like maybe he, Eli believes that he's the most positive college basketball better there is, or maybe he doesn't even matter, right? But like that discussion we were having was fascinating from this standpoint, right? I. <clears throat> the the narratives that we created around situational spots which was what this whole thing started around didn't really ever come into whether he bet something or not right like he was using that as generally as a narrative to describe why things happen when they do when the because we talked about Michigan State for a long time and then it came out like well he didn't even bet Michigan State right which means that like at the end of the day these narratives we create around situational spots for someone like him who is you know obviously good at creating content and um, mm-hmm. you know, like knows all these players and was super polished and how he was talking about them. The reality is when you come push comes to shove and you want to bet these things, the situational spots are just too hard to measure that you stick with a model over those situational spots. But That's I think what I you would can do, put personally. them into a model. It's it's almost like saying, oh, for sure, teams coming off bye weeks in football are whatever and whatever against the spread. And it's not that, you know, I, I don't know what that number is, but all I know is coming off a bye week is worth points. And I quantified it in my model. And so I don't have to rely on that. Just like rest or, I don't know, the emotion of playing a ranked team. Maybe that is something. I don't know. I've never looked at it. I can't. To me, I, I'm, I'm skeptical that it actually is something that's real and persistent. Um, you know, maybe it's real for every team except Miami, as he said. But no, I, I find it funny there was an exception. But um, but maybe it is real. I don't that's know. Like, I that's like... It. But that whole thing was, it was content, right? It wasn't reality, right? And like, again, like you get back to this idea, like, you know, when RJ Bell and and those guys made fun of us for our podcast, they would say like, oh, well, this is what the model says. And that's why we're making the bet. That's never enough from a content perspective. And their, their point was right. It is boring. Like it is boring to just say that. So you do have to create narratives around these things. And these situational spots are great narratives. Like, was like last night, despite the fact that Michigan State covered, was Indiana or Michigan State, which was the right side? Like if you had could go back in time, would you still bet Indiana knowing that you're getting two and a half points? No, I wouldn't bet it knowing that it lost. Or... No, but that's what I'm going to say. All <laughs> know, right, anyways, know. you know what I'm saying. I get it's it. an right, interesting right. conversation. If, if, you came up, if you built a box score after the game that essentially weighted things in terms your game of game grades, value. just like your yeah, game grades, a game grade. Exactly. Maybe we need to build a college basketball game grade. That'd be fun. That would be content. That would be content. Um, yeah. Okay. So I know you got a call, so let's get this done. Pick of the I, week. By the way, I, I think asked, what we should, I asked Telemachus if he wanted to come on at some point to talk college basketball. And he said, he said, I don't know any of the players. Basically, he said the same thing. He's like, I can't talk about players or teams. So, well, I think it just it would be if we want him to come on, he would actually have to talk about how you guys do your model, 
Right. Which, no, no. Just, he he because kind it's of not, declined. It's, he politely yeah, declined. I would just, and you don't necessarily want him to because no, he's not I don't. talking about teaser. He's not talking about teasers in the NFL, which you know you're happy to talk about. See what I did there? I gotta come back to tease the teaser calculator. Always. Of course. Um, did you I, I, know that we, last we call them we call them TZs now because it's like a little it's more playful a TZ. Okay. Do you want to give a pick this week? I oh, have my I pick already. My pick last week won. I think what we should start doing is keeping track of these for the rest of the golf season because that's oh, what I'm most sure of you want to because now be you're up golf. like you're up ten units already. Yeah. I had to give you guys a little John Rom last week. Um, and I'm gonna give you someone else this week in, in a limited I, I did not have John Rom to win last week, although I had like I had possibly the best break even, Ooh. or I mean, I think we made like 10 grand or something, like, but basically break even golf week ever. Because at one point we were looking like we were gonna go like one in eight on our big matchups, or maybe one in nine. What and they were like one in four after the cut. We snuck through Wyndham Clark over Taylor Montgomery, I guess. And then all the rest of them were negative where we're losing. And we like flipped four of them and ended up like, yeah. So I'm not bitter that I wasn't on John Rom, um, except I bet him minus 265 going into round four. But I'm happy that I pulled a rabbit out of a hat. No, not a rabbit out of a hat. That's what magicians do. I pulled something out of something, something out of the dumpster. You I pulled, pulled a, you pulled I, I, I pulled a something neutral out of a dumpster. Okay, picks. Yeah, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll give a golf outright, and it's a German golfer named Stefan Jaeger. Although he might go by Jaeger because. All these international golfers Americanize their names. Like, you know, have you heard of Emiliano Grillo? He apparently mm. prefers to be called Grillo mm. because I think people just butcher it so much. So I'm so I don't know if we're calling him. We'll call him Jaegerbaum. We're betting on Jaegerbaum. You can get him at I don't know how updated this is, but you could have gotten him at fifty-five to one at FanDuel, forty-five to one at DraftKings, fifty-five to one at MGM, fifty-two to one at Penny, fifty to one at Bet Online. You crushed, um, you crushed him on Chris. He's like only 50 to one at William Hill. I make him 39.28 to one. Fair. So my, my pick would have been my buddy, Denny McCarthy, who was 31 to one last night. He's down to 25 to one, but I'm still going to take him. Denny McCarthy. You're just plus you're doing the, like Denny, like, you're doing the Denny McCarthy Martingale basically, huh? Just keep well, as long as, as long as, Rom, as long as Rom's on. I mean, the other guys I normally like to bet on are Davis Riley. You um, like betting on Tony Finau? No, I haven't been betting on him. Is he? Is he? He's not. He's not playing this week, is he? No, but he's he's I'm just saying he's one of the guys you like to bet on. I don't know oh, if yeah, you saw this is a lim- in a limited Netflix, field. I like Danny McCarthy. Did you, feel, did you see Full Swing? Like the no, I haven't seen it yet. The Finau episode. I, I really, I really Fina, Fina, Finau, The is, his story is great. Is Gipper? Is Gipper in it? His brother. Um, he's mentioned, but he doesn't actually make an appearance. I golf, I golf with Gipper once. That's pretty I cool. I golf with Gipper at Ohio Country Club. Yeah, he's very good at golf. So we have the second name right. drop of the day now for Jeff for those following along on their bet the process bingo cards. What was the first one? Oh, you name dropped the at the NBA Tech Summit. What we need, Jeff, is to have a sound effect that we hit mm. 
for a bingo thing. We no, should I have bet. I we need really to name drop the I process. Didn't. We need to make bet the process bingo cards that have all these different things. People can on Twitter can maybe you tweet at us and tell us what you think should go on the bingo card. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. We also next week, maybe next week we'll actually talk about the golf trip that we want to plan for the bet the process listeners. Um, so we need two tea times. We're gonna need two and a half tea times because if all seven listeners come, me and you, that's nine, nine people. So that's two tea times or two and a half tea times. We'll just go to a place where they'll let us play five of some. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, we'll talk to you guys like all again next week. Simulate system to break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of leaded. 